All right, let's dive in here. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 today. Um, if you need a Bible, we do have them in the back. My notes are in the foyer as well. Please uh, take both of those home with you. As you turn to Matthew 12, let me review because really last Sunday we, we listened to Jesus give a, a part three of his sermon that started back in Matthew chapter 11. And his sermon started in response to a question that John the baptizer had. So Jesus answered that question, and then he proceeded to, to preach to the crowd on the price of unrepentance. And then by uh, his grace, he presents the gospel to the crowd in, in hopes that they would repent and believe that he is the Lord and the Savior. A couple key points from last Sunday. We said that eternal life is solely we could say exclusively um, a gift of grace from God. That eternal life is solely, it is exclusively a gift of grace from God. So in other words, we as sinners will we'll never, quote unquote, find the truth. We can't find the truth on our own. God reveals his truth to us in his timing. Uh, we talked about two different things, two different kinds of revelation, general revelation and personal revelation. Um, God gives a general revelation of himself using creation. Um, so just as a, a painter or a painting has a painter and a building has a builder, the creation has a creator. But God also gives a personal revelation. And the personal revelation is only to those that he chooses. One of the key points that we talked about last Sunday was that we don't choose God. He chooses us. And that we respond to his choosing uh, by his grace. And we look at that and we go, wow, we don't choose God? I thought we did. And God chooses us. And, um, you know, that's when we first see that, when we first hear that, that's offensive. What do you mean I don't choose God? You know, doctrine of salvation, it is offensive. The gospel is offensive unless we realize it's true. Unless we realize we... We did nothing to earn God's favor. It's, it's his favor on us. Um, and if it is true, then man alive, the gospel is the greatest gift. It is the greatest gift that we'll ever receive. So that's a short review from last Sunday. If you would like to watch that sermon, it is on the website at riverbible.org. If you have the app, you can download the app as well. It's, it's on the app. But today, um, we actually... <laughs> We're actually turning the page to, to Matthew chapter 12, um, and Jesus reaches a significant turning point here. Uh, last week, we saw how Jesus moved really from this corporate call, this national summons to repentance, and he, he changed that to a, really a much more personal focus on each individual listening to the crowd. So chapter 12 begins to reveal this corporate and this national hostility of the Jewish leaders towards Jesus. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not going to accept Jesus as their Messiah. So tensions between them, they come to a head as we study Matthew's gospel here. And for the next several weeks, we're going to see the, the conscious rejection of the religious leaders. And we're also going to witness the, the blasphemy, this disrespecting of God that follows with their rejection. Uh, one of the primary causes of opposition towards Jesus, it centers on keeping the Sabbath day holy. 
Sabbath day. The Jews call it Shabbat. Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. And for the next two weeks here, we're going to see two events unfold, both happening on the day of rest. We're going to take one at a time. So today, uh, this first event, it occurred kind of spontaneously. The second event was no accident, though. That was planned. So three questions to consider here as we begin. Number one, we want to ask ourselves, how do these events over the next two weeks, how do they impact my life today? Because we don't just come here to get filled up with knowledge, right? We got to apply this stuff and allow God to change our hearts and change our lives. And then number two, as we talk about rest today, the Sabbath day, how important is rest to God? And then how important is rest to you? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Just as we sang those songs this morning as a church, let's also read God's word together, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath day the priest in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Amen and amen. Guys, these are the words from God from this morning. They are authoritative in our lives. They are Holy Spirit filled. Um, these are a part of a book, 66 love letters inside this book. And today's um, message of rest, I think, is really so timely this morning. And I pray that as we read these words, we understand these words, that we would apply them to our lives today. Please pray with me. The psalmist writes, may your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. Father, we do put our hope in you. As the apostle Peter once said, Lord, where else are we going to go? We got nowhere else to go but to cling to you. Our hope and our rest and our salvation, everything comes from you, Lord God. And as we read this, this passage, I pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts, prepare us for some changes in our schedule as we digest what you're getting ready to, to reveal to us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. All right, verse 1, Matthew says, At that time Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. 
his disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. So our gospel writer, Matthew, he sets the scene here, doesn't he? Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields. So instead of sidewalks, these guys are walking on well-worn paths. Uh, These paths basically crisscrossed all through Galilee, uh, and a lot of them cut through the fields. Um, So Matthew makes it a point to tell us what day it is. That's that's very important for us today. It's the Sabbath. It is the national day of rest. Obeying the Sabbath is one of God's top ten. It's number four on God's top ten list. Um, Ten Commandments. Let's take a look at it here. In Exodus, we see it. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath, we are to keep it holy. So the Sabbath day, that's a part of Israel's national identity. Uh, Because what the Sabbath did is it set Israel apart from everyone else, from all the other Gentile uh, nations. Back to verse 1, his disciples were hungry. They began to pick and eat some heads of grain. So a couple questions I have is, all right, well, first and foremost, why are the disciples hungry? Why are they hungry? You start to think about it. Well, they're following Jesus. That's why they're hungry, right? Foxes have holes to live in. Birds have nests, but Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. These guys are on mission, aren't they? They're doing ministry. They're tired. They're hungry. They're walking. So... If Jesus doesn't have a place to rest his head, then neither do his disciples. Please note they hear that the disciples, they're not stealing food. That'd be a little bit awkward, stealing food in front of God. I think that would be a little bit awkward. They're not stealing food. God allowed people to walk through the fields and, and to basically help themselves to some of the crops. Now, keep in mind, uh, our God is merciful. He is a merciful God. And his mercy is is shown throughout all the Old Testament laws. Let me show you a couple here. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, 24, God says this. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, but you must not carry away any in a basket. So in other words, you can can go and you can eat your full until you're full, uh, but but don't take any home. Don't store any of these grapes um, in your home for tomorrow. Verse 25 says, when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, you may pluck the heads of grain with your hand, but you must not harvest it with a sickle. So once again, you can eat your fill, but you can't go and farm someone else's field. Uh, You're not allowed to do that. Uh, I think this is a great example of, of depending on God for our daily bread. Keep in mind, obviously, there's no fast food restaurants in the first century. So as you're, you know, as you're walking along, if you've got a long journey, maybe you didn't bring enough food, maybe, maybe you ran out of food, you are at the mercy of other people. And that's why God tells the landowners in Leviticus chapter 19, he says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick what the harvesters drop. So Jesus and his disciples, they're not trespassing, and they're not stealing. They were, in fact, following the law. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, see, 
Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, time out. We just read the law, and we learned that nobody's breaking anything, so what are the, what are the Pharisees doing? Are they spying on Jesus and the disciples? Were they hiding in the fields, just waiting for them to do something wrong? Uh, maybe the Pharisees are walking with Jesus and the disciples. I think that's probably a better guess. Because if you look at, the, if you look at verse 2 here, it's almost as if the Pharisees are having a conversation with Jesus, and then they blunt this statement out. They're having this conversation, and they say, See? Wait a second, Jesus, see? This is what we're talking about. Your disciples are not following the law. Now, we don't know exactly what happened there. Matthew doesn't say. But we do know that the disciples just poked an angry bear with a stick right in the eye. And the Pharisees are the bears. Verse 2 says, see, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do. And the key here is on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, they didn't have a problem with the, the disciples eating. It was that they were eating on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, they accused the disciples of breaking the law. A little sermon in a sermon here. Uh, this is a perfect example of making sure that our biblical hermeneutics are correct. In other words, that our interpretation of God's word is, in fact, uh, God's interpretation. Not our own. That we don't put our place, our, our opinions on God's word. We draw out what God's word is actually saying. So the Pharisees claim that, that the disciples here, they're breaking the law. So let's look at, at, at God's law once again. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath. Let's keep it holy. You're to labor six days and to do all of your work. But the seventh day, that is a Sabbath day. That is the Sabbath day. To the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he says, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he declared it holy. So, holy is that crucial word. As you, as you look at Exodus 20 there, circle that. Holy, it, it means to set apart. It means that it's different. You know, holiness, when you, when you read through Scripture, holiness is the only attribute of God that is mentioned three times in a row. God is holy. He is different. That uh, brings us to key point number one for us this morning. God is different from us, and he commands that the Sabbath day be different for us. God is different from us. He is holy. In fact, he is not just holy. Scripture says he is holy, holy, holy. He is thrice holy. And he commands that the Sabbath day be a, a different day for us because that day is holy. God reiterates this in Exodus 35 too. He says, for six days uh, work is to be done, but on the seventh day you are to have a holy day. Once again, a day that is set apart from the rest of the week. He goes on to say in 35 verse 2, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Uh, look at this. Anyone who works 
Anyone who does work on it must be executed. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing that we're all here this morning, isn't it? <laughs> Holy smokes! So we have, to, we have to ask, why is resting so important to God? I mean, God himself rested after creating the cosmos. Genesis 2, the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So what did he do? He rested from all of his work. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and he declared it. And there's that word again. He declared it holy. Why? Why is that day holy? Because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. So God clearly puts a lot of emphasis on rest, right? The holiness of the Sabbath. So much so that if, if someone doesn't choose to rest, capital punishment was involved. Well, the problem throughout Israel's history, though, is that they ignored God, and they ignored this specific command to rest. There's an old saying that says, if we don't learn from our history, we're, we're doomed to repeat it. Uh, so let's learn a little, about, a little bit about Israel's history this morning. One of the primary reasons that Yahweh God um, allowed Israel to be captured during the Babylonian exile was because they refused to rest on this Sabbath day. They didn't keep it holy. They didn't treat it any differently than the other days. Uh, they kept working, and then they also kept working the land. Day after day, month after month, year after year, they, they did not rest, and they didn't let the, the land rest either. Now look, we, we've mentioned this in the past, God doesn't like to be ignored. But God is so rich in his mercy. He sends a prophet, his name is Jeremiah, and he sends Jeremiah to warn Israel. Jeremiah 17, verse 19 is where the, we're going to pick up the story. So this is what the Lord said to me. So this is Jeremiah um, getting ready to tell Israel. Go and stand in the gates of, of Jerusalem, first in the gate where the king goes in and out, and then in each of the other gates. And say to all the people, listen to this message from the Lord. You kings of Judah and all of you people of, of Judah and everyone else living in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Listen to my warning. Here's the warning. Stop carrying on your trade at Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day. He reiterates, do not, do, don't, don't work. Do not do your work on the Sabbath, but make it a holy day. Set it apart. Rest. I gave this command to your ancestors, but they didn't listen. They didn't obey. They stubbornly refused to pay attention or accept my discipline. But if you obey me, says the Lord, and you don't carry on your trade at the gates or work on the Sabbath day, and if you keep it holy, well, then the kings and their officials will go in and out of the gates forever. There will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. Kings and their officials will always ride in and out among the people of Judah in chariots and on horses, and this city will remain forever. So that's God's blessing. 
You'll always have Jerusalem. Verse 27, though, he says, but if, circle that word if, it's conditional, it's up to us. If, if you do not listen to me and you refuse to keep the Sabbath day holy, and if on the Sabbath day you bring loads of merchandise through the gates of Jerusalem, just as on the other days, then I'm going to set fire to these gates. The fire will then spread to the palaces and no one will be able to put out the roaring flames. Now, did, did Israel listen to the prophet Jeremiah? Everybody go like this. No, they did not. And God is not only a God of incredible mercy, guys, but he's also a God of perfect justice. God is a God of, of patience as well, but please know that his patience runs out. And this is just a great example of people not taking the Lord seriously, even when it comes to something as simple as rest. So there are severe consequences. There are eternal consequences when we choose to ignore God. The book of Second uh, Chronicles reveals the consequences for Israel not obeying. So let's take a look at that. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 11. Zedekiah, he was 21 years old when he became king. Right there, we've got a problem, don't we? Anybody got a... <laughs> A problem with a 21-year-old king? All right. Well, he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years, but Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And he refused to humble himself when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. So we just heard what Jeremiah told Zedekiah. Verse 13, so he, Zedekiah, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had taken an oath of loyalty of God in God's name. Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. So, guess what? Zedekiah, he's got a bad case of the normals, doesn't he? He just refuses to listen and to listen to anyone. And since he's king, look, look at what happens to his administration. Verse 14, likewise, all the leaders of the priest. And the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations. They desecrated the temple of the Lord God that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But, look at this. The people mocked these messengers of God. They despised their words. They, they scoffed. They scoffed at Jeremiah. Pff, pff, please, Jeremiah. Pff, whatever. And they're rolling their eyes. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. So it's consequences time. They're not going to listen. They're not going to listen to um, the word. They, they're not going to read their Hebrew Bible. And they're not going to listen to the prophets. What else is God going to do? God's patience runs out. Verse 17. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them, against the Jews. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing them uh, after them into the temple. They, so the Babylonians there, they had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women. The old and the crippled, 
God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God. The treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the kings and the officials. And then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon. So this is where the story of Daniel begins. And they, began, they became servants to the king and, and sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Verse 21, all that to say this. The message of the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah. Guess what? It was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. Basically, God's saying, you know what? You guys may not want to rest. You may not want to rest your body, but my land is going to rest. So all of those consequences due to not resting and not allowing the, the, the land to rest on the Sabbath day. Um, it's because of Israel's history now, uh, that Babylonian captivity that describes in the Pharisees what they were. They were really hypersensitive to resting on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees, they, they didn't want to suffer those, those terrible consequences once again. So here we've got the scribes and the Pharisees trying to interpret God's law. But the problem is that uh, God did not specify with really much detail at all what defined work and what defined rest. So to help God out, don't you love when people help God out? To help God out, these religious leaders, what they did is they looked at this. They said, well, we don't want to be taken as slaves again, so we just need to create some laws and rules around the Sabbath day. And they ended up creating hundreds upon hundreds of rules. So what they did is they, the, the leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they defined what work was, not God. Key point number two. Vagueness is always a problem for legalists. Vagueness. Vagueness in God's word is always a problem for legalists. See, legalists don't see God's vagueness as a gift. They don't see it as an act of mercy or grace. They see it as an opportunity to spiritually abuse people and beat them down into submission. So let me give you an example of this. Exodus 16, 29 Moses writes, each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So that's the Sabbath day. So the scribes and the Pharisees look at this, and instead of reading the other verses around this, they, they basically take it out of context, and they start making some rules on traveling. They develop this concept of a Sabbath day's journey. Um, basically, they said, well, this is what God says, so we're going to, we're gonna, what we should do here is, is create some fencing laws. So they said, we're going to develop a law that says you can't walk more than a thousand yards away from your house. That, that's what they said. That's how they interpreted this verse. You can walk a thousand yards, but one more step, mm -mm, that's called sin. That's what they said. 
See, the, the problem with their interpretation is that it has nothing to do with God's heart. The, the context of Exodus 16.29 deals with provisions. It deals with food. Uh, the Israelites were to gather twice as much food the day before um, the Sabbath. They were to go get the quail and the manna. Um, they were to pick up the food, and they were supposed to rest on the Sabbath itself. So God was giving them a, a, a gift. It was the gift of rest. But the Pharisees completely missed that point. And that's what bad biblical interpretation always does. I mean, think about it. We may be just one degree off in a certain aspect or part of our theology. And we think, one degree? Big deal. What's the big deal about that? Well, what happens when you multiply one degree off over time? What happens? It doesn't really matter if it, it, what your view is on apostolic miracles, or maybe it's ba baptism, or maybe it's the end times. What happens a year from now? What happens 10 years from now? Think of a pilot. He takes off, and he is only one degree off. But a few hours later, is he going to arrive at his destination? No. no. It's the same thing spiritually. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They completely missed the spiritual destination here. So what these guys did, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they looked at this and they ended up dividing and defined work into 39 categories, each having its own subcategories. So let me just give you a couple examples of the stuff they came up with. You ready? Number one, you couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath. Yeah. They, 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 they went to the synagogue, stinky, evidently. Why couldn't you take a bath on the, uh, on the Sabbath? Well, because the Pharisees feared that some water might spill out and that you might want to clean up the water, which they said was actually work, and that was sin. Something as silly as that, over time, turns into things that are a little bit more serious. If, if a person became sick on the Sabbath, only enough medical treatment could be given to keep him alive. The treatment to make him improve was considered work. And you couldn't work on the Sabbath. Here's another one. If a building fell down on the Sabbath, only enough rubble could be removed to see if people were dead or alive. If people were alive, then they could be rescued, but... If they were dead, the corpses must be left until the next day. I mean, how heartless is all that? But see, that's how the Pharisees were. They would go out of their way to spiritually abuse people with this stuff. The Pharisees were the self-appointed moral police. But by doing so, it's funny because they would end up contradicting themselves. And that's why Jesus called these guys hypocrites all the time. So if the think about it. If the Pharisees are walking with Jesus and the disciples at this moment, they're breaking their own self-imposed rules of not leaving the house. And yet they're saying, aha, uh -huh, see, they're breaking the law. All that to say, it was, it just, it was so much harder to rest on the Sabbath than to earn a living throughout the rest of the week. Now, because of these extra-biblical rules and these regulations, it was also harder to run the nation. 
The Jews took this idea of resting on the Sabbath so seriously that they were willing to die rather than to violate the Sabbath. There's a Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. He wrote a book called Antiquities. And in it, he writes how the Jews refused to defend their own country on the Sabbath. They, they considered not fighting on the Sabbath a, a sign of national honor. So let me ask you, if you're an enemy of Israel, what would you do? Israel had a lot of enemies, right? Everybody's an enemy of, of Israel. I mean, if you're an enemy of Israel and you want to conquer Israel, you're going to attack them on the Sabbath. Knowing that they're not even going to fight. That's, that's exactly what the, the Roman general Pompey did in 63 BC. Pompey captured Jerusalem because they wouldn't fight. And, you know, this is just a great example of what happens when you've got bad Bible teachers teaching bad Bible theology. You end up not fighting to protect yourself, your family, or your nation. It's awful. All right, back to our gospel uh, passage here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of the grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, there they go. Your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, what's going on here is they accused the disciples of working and farming on the Sabbath just because they were picking some grain and eating it. Now, Jesus knows this, and he's not going to really get into a debate with the Pharisees. But look what he does in verse 3. Jesus says to them, hey, I'm just curious. Have you guys read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How David entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but it's only for the priests. It's a great question. So to understand what Jesus is, is referring to, we, we have to ask, like, what, what's Jesus talking about here? What is this bread of the presence? Well, let's find out. This, this story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Starting in verse 1, David went to the town of Nob to see Amalek, the priest. Amalek trembled when he saw him. <laughs> so the priest is like, he sees David, and he's like, David, uh, or why, why are you alone? Why, why, is, why is no one with you? What's wrong? David says, well, the king has sent me on a private matter. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I, I've got, I told my men to meet me later. Just know... You can write in your Bibles there, David is lying. He's lying to the priest. Uh, David is on the run at this point from King Saul. King Saul is trying to kill him. Regardless, verse 3, uh, David's like, don't worry about that. What do you got to eat? We're hungry. Give me five loaves of bread or anything else that you have. The priests respond, well, we don't have any regular bread. But there is the holy bread. Since there was no food available, the priest gave him the holy bread. So that holy bread, that is the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence, it was 12 loaves of bread, and it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. These loaves were placed in the sanctuary. That's a big deal because the sanctuary is where God's presence was. So the bread of God's presence, it symbolized two things to the nation of Israel. First, it symbolized that 
um, the people of, of Israel have fellowship with God Almighty. And then secondly, it symbolized that God is, is their provider. He's the one that provides their daily bread. So with that context, that background now, back to verse 3. Jesus says to them, haven't you guys read what David did when he and those with him were hungry? This is Jesus being sarcastic. Jesus asked the Pharisees, have you not read? Uh, as you read through the Gospels, he actually asked that question 10 times in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it's, never, it's never good when the Lord Jesus asks that question. Um, Jesus knows these guys have read that passage. I mean, these, the Pharisees, these are the self-appointed experts of the Hebrew Bible. But Jesus' point is that they didn't understand what they read. And because they didn't understand it, they could not obey it. So Jesus' question is rhetorical. It's basically, Jesus is saying this. Hey guys, um, let's open up our Bibles. Let's have a little Bible study right now. Let's see what the Bible says. I assume you've read uh, 1 Samuel 21, right? You've read that? It shows King David. He and his soldiers were hungry. I'm just curious, like what does Scripture say about that? When the priest gave them the bread, what does Scripture say? Does it say, shame on, shame on you, David? Does it say that Amalek instantly was, was killed? No. It says nothing. God says nothing about that. So Jesus points out that the Sabbath day, this day of rest, it was given for God's glory and also for man's welfare. This day of rest is, is for man's benefit. It's for our health, our safety, and our protection. So here's the deal. God's law stated that the priest at this time could only eat the bread. And yet, at that moment, so the priests, right, they find themselves in a pickle. What do we do? We, we've got the next king standing in front of us. He's hungry, but we know we're not supposed to allow anybody to eat this bread. So do the priests double down on God's law? Or do they show mercy by providing this exception? And technically speaking, everybody knew that nobody else was supposed to eat this bread, including David. But the priest understood the true purpose of God's law, and that is to love God and to love people. So Jesus presses in now with verse 5 because he knows how dense these men are, right? Verse 5, he says, Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priest in the temple, they violate the Sabbath, and yet they're innocent? So Jesus asked the same question a second time. So in other words, hey guys, I'm wondering, how come the priests violate the Sabbath day every week by working, and yet they're innocent? See, the Sabbath day for the priests, that was the busiest day for them. They, they taught, they prayed, they slaughtered the sacrificial animals. The priests of the day, they were kind of like butchers. It was... A, the Sabbath day was a long day for them. It was hard work, both physically and mentally. So Jesus' point in these rhetorical questions is this. Um, the true meaning of the Sabbath is not that you shall never work, because the law also requires the priest to, to fulfill their obligations and to work on that day. So basically what Jesus did here is he revealed what awful expositors and what awful teachers the Pharisees are. And Jesus, next, he drops this bombshell in verse 6. 
He says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Now, we don't get a, a response here from the Pharisees, but man, there had to be one. They had to be horrified at this statement because nothing, nothing other than God himself was greater than the temple. It's really hard to overestimate the shock value here. Um, we just, in our, you know, 2,000 years later, we just can't identify how important the temple is. Um, the temple was more than a place of worship. It really, it symbolized the Jews' identity. It was a national identity. And to threaten the temple was to commit treason. To speak ill of the temple, which Jesus did all the time, was to betray the nation of Israel. Why was that? Well, because the temple is where God's presence is. And Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, guys, is look, I'm greater than the, than the presence of God inside that temple. What the Jews didn't realize is that the temple merely represents the presence of God while Jesus is God. So verse 7, he goes on to say, If you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, the disciples. So Jesus points the Pharisees to the prophet Hosea, and in Hosea, mercy is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is a, it's a beautiful word. It's, it's a promise of God's faithfulness, but it, see, it's not based on human conditions. God promises uh, things based on his integrity. So in other words, love for people, no matter what day it is, is love for God. Now, today, we seem to be more concerned with the means or, or the mode of worship. In other words, how we worship. Uh, and when we do that, we end up missing the God that we think that we're worshiping. So let me give you an example. If we're too focused on, for example, the, the style of the music, if we're too focused on the length of the sermon, if we're too focused on the programs that the church has or, or does not have, we're acting just like the Pharisees. We're missing the whole point. We come here to worship, primarily to worship the Lord God. And the trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees is that they had zero compassion for people. They had no pity for people. They did not love kindness. They didn't love people. They loved their rules. Key point number three for this morning, compassion always trumps ritual. Compassion always trumps ritual. And because Jesus wants love and not legalism, he says this in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in declaring himself Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus he affirms equality with God because God established the Sabbath in the first place. And because Jesus established the Sabbath, he is the one who determines the rules for the Sabbath. Now, next week, we're going to see Jesus prove that claim of, of being Lord of the Sabbath. He's going to heal a man um, in a synagogue. He's got a paralyzed hand. And once again, it's on the Sabbath day. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let me, let me just close with an illustration here. 
Um, when I was in seminary, I, there was a guest speaker in, um, in class, and, and he was actually in Europe. And uh, he was kind of this Billy Graham evangelist over in Europe. And he tells this story of all the amazing things that God allowed him to see and do as part of the ministry. And for 20 years, he was over preaching the gospel, traveled the world, saw amazing things, met amazing people. But he never took a day off. And he said, you know, the Lord started to tell me it's time to take a day off. You got to take a day off. Well, I can't take a day off because, you know, there's people to minister, minister to. There's people to preach to. There's, there's, there's souls to be saved, God. I can't take a day off. So he ignored God. A few weeks later, months later, I don't know when it was. It's time to take a day off. I can't, I can't take a day off. There's just too much work to be done. And then he said this. And then I woke up one morning and my, I threw my back out and I couldn't move. And it was three, and it's three years later and I still can't move. And he said this, and I'll never forget this. He said, if you ignore God by not resting, and it's almost like he was going back to the Babylonian exile. He says this, God will get those Sabbaths back. <laughs> wow. Wow. So we've got spiritual rest and we've got physical rest. Both are very, very important. Um, first and foremost... If Jesus is not your Lord today, guys, he is not Lord of your Sabbath. So first and foremost, Jesus is Lord. And if he's not your Lord, that means you are Lord of your life. And Jesus does not share his throne with anyone. And if God is calling you by his grace to step down off of your throne and confess him as Lord and Savior, guys, I want to encourage you to do that. Do some business with God today. Do it this week. Confess your sin. Believe in your heart that he walked out of his own grave. He proved that he is God. For those of you who are disciples of Jesus, we know that spiritual rest is coming. Let's talk about your physical rest today. Do your Sundays... Let me ask you a few questions. Do your Sundays typically look like every other day of the week? Are you doing the same activities aside from coming to church? So you, you leave here and you go eat and then you turn on the television or you surf the web or you go back to work. Are you doing those same kind of things? Or is your Sunday different? Are you working to make a living now? Are you working to make a living when you don't have to. You don't have to work on Sunday. You just are. Are you doing that? And if you do have to work on a Sunday, what other day are you resting? How, really, how are you making your Sundays different? You know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they overcomplicate everything. And, and I think as we look at this text today, a great question for us is, are we doing the opposite of what we normally do? So, for example, if we're 
If, if we're busy all through the week, and we're, we're, are we not doing those specific things on the day of the Sabbath, on the day of rest? Because if you look at our lives, we all have different jobs, we all have different callings, we all have different schedules. You can't make rules to follow on the Sabbath. Your Sabbath is going to look way different than mine and vice versa. So are you doing the opposite of what you normally do? This is a great question. Are you able to accept God's gift of rest? Or are you too restless? Are you too restless? Can you not settle down? Are you always got to be doing something? You just, you sit down and you I can't stand it. I got to do something. Guys, take all of these things, all these thoughts, take those things to the Lord this week. See what he has to say about them. My last thought here is that Jesus Christ, he's not just Lord of the Sabbath. If we're a disciple of Jesus this morning, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. And Father, that's where we want to stop for today. You are our Sabbath. You are our rest. Thank you for the promise of eternal rest. Thank you for the promise that our last breath here on earth is our, and, and the next sight that we see is your beautiful and your glorious face. There will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain. You give us eternal rest. Father, we also want to thank you for the promise of rest today. Until that glorious day when we see you face to face, you give us this gift of, of grace, and it's called a day off. And Father, if we're not taking a day off to do something different, to spend a little bit more time with you, just to take a breath, I pray that we would wrestle with you this week on that. Show us what we need to do. Lord, we praise you for your son. We praise you for your spirit. And we praise you for your word this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.